We are in Romans chapter 13. If you would turn there, please. Got to tell you something. This morning I decided to pull out a nose hair to see if it really hurt. And from the way Becky screamed, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it did. Honey, honey, I love you. Where are you? It wasn't her. It was a joke I heard had to tell you. So the only way it worked was using Becky. If I used a guy, you guys would go, yeah, so what? You know, either the ears or the nose, but... All right, guys, this teaching is going to be a little difficult for some folks, especially in the climate we live in today. It's going to be difficult to wrap your head around it. The reason I say that is because it was for me. As I'm going through it, before all this stuff took place in our world and gas went up and all the other things, this was a little easier to handle, but with everything going on the way it is in our world today, it was, uh, I had to pause several times and ask the Lord to put me in the right frame of mind because we're going to read some of these things and, and we're going to go, man, this is extremely difficult to be able to do right now. As we go into 13, it really is a continuation of chapter 12, and we'll continue on in this same theme, if you will, the guidelines for Christian behavior, the way we're supposed to act in this world, the way we're supposed to act towards um, each other. Um, we're encouraged by Paul to live as king's kids. Instead of getting so engulfed in the world, that we begin to take on the characteristics of the world instead of the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And we live in it, right? We're in the middle of it. You're in it every single day. You hear the foul words. You see the, the uh, social climate, the, the thing that surprises me the most, or at least one of the things that surprise, surprises me the most and that is this new um, dating setting or dating situation that you see out there in the worlds, out in the world. Guys have always been guys, and guys have always been dogs. I'm sorry, you know, I don't mean to offend anybody, but but a, a lot of times they are, you know, they got one thing on their mind. But what amazes me now is how much the young girls have bought into that. And it's become a culture of just sleeping with people. Finding a body count, asking people what their body count is. It, it's gotten worse, it just continues to get worse, and yet we as God's people we're supposed to live by a completely different standard. Now you might say, well, I'm not doing any of that. That's okay. But I think if we really are honest with ourselves, some of us are more woke than we realize. That we've accepted our society. We've become a part of our society rather than maintaining, keeping and maintaining those virtues that God has told us to maintain and to keep. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it's easy. It's difficult. 
especially when we live in such a fallen world. Now, as we go through this, I want to remind you that Nero has just come into power. So it's not like everything is roses for those in Rome. Things are very difficult for those in Rome, and it's even going to get worse. Nero was not a good guy. Christians were not only persecuted, they were murdered under Nero, and they were killed just for amusement. Just for amusement. They were sometimes clothed in the skins of animals and then set free for wild dogs. Then wild dogs were set free to eat them alive. Nero opened his gardens to the public and he created this circus-like atmosphere. And he impaled Christians on poles and lit them on fire and then drove his chariot down the middle of them. It would be like he lined his roads, his road with Christians, set them on fire, and then drove his chariots down through the center of them. Things are tough. Gas has come down. Praise the Lord. It's come down a little bit. It's amazing what an upcoming election will do, huh? But they have come down. But so far, um, I haven't had anybody threaten me with putting animal skins on and setting wild dogs on me. I haven't had that happen. I haven't been lit on fire and, you know, impaled and lit on fire. So as bad as we might think that we have it sometimes, things can get a lot worse. Will they? I'm praying that God will do a miracle. I'm praying that there'll be um, another revival. But this is a battle, make no mistake, between good and evil. It's easy to hinge it on a party. It's easy to hinge it on something other than what it really is. This is just plain old evil against good. Satan against Jesus Christ. So he's giving us those guidelines on how we're supposed to live when it's tough. We all know how to live when it's good, right? We all know how to enjoy ourselves as Christians. We've lived in this time frame or dispensation, if you will, where we can worship freely. We can um, enjoy picnics. We can enjoy potlucks. We can have our own building. We can do all of these things. And we have enjoyed them for such a long time time that when we begin to feel a little heat and a little persecution, it, it, it upsets us. It can upset everything. But we need to know and understand that this is not about Republicans and Democrats. It's really not, folks. You, you might have one that you lean to. You might have the other one that you lean to. But this is about good and evil. And we need to keep that focused. It needs to be front and center in our lives if we're going to be able to keep the things that God's told us front and center in our lives. I want you to look at 13.1. Romans 13.1. God, may you open our hearts and our eyes to be able to see the things that you would have us see in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, right there, I got you, <laughs> right? 
we read that and we go, how can that be? How can that be? Well, you might be interested to know that Jesus is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. In fact, I want you to think about this for a minute. He didn't even claim to be a Christian. Oh, pastor, now you've crossed the line. But I want you to think about that. He was the Christ. But he did tell us that you'll know we are Christians by what? Our love? Our love for one another? And our love for those that are around us even if they don't agree with us? Keeping in mind that salvation is the most important thing. And now we have an opportunity like no other to be able to tell people about Jesus Christ, to explain what is going on without the politics. We don't have to really get into that. We can explain to them that Jesus foretold it. I mean, what an opportunity to be able to lead people to the Lord. And who need it? Who are the ones that really, well, we all need it. But who needs it the most? The ones we disagree with. The ones that we feel are evil. They need to hear about Jesus. You might also be surprised that there's really not anywhere in the Bible that directly supports one specific type of national government. Now, if you go into the Old Testament, you have Moses' father-in-law telling him that it was impossible for him to hear every case, so he needed to appoint other people to be able to hear the case so people could, could uh, get their problems and their issues solved. And in church government, that kind of comes down to two, that one, the Moses style or the congregational run style. Neither one of those are perfect. And if you don't have good people in, in good places, they can both go bad. Either one of those can go bad. Calvary Chapel believes in the Moses style of government and constantly pushing ministry back down, you know, giving, giving ministry away and raising people up. He goes on to say that Jesus is the top of every government. You catch that in that first verse? That Jesus is at the top of every single government. And I know the question you got to be asking yourself is, I don't think he is ours. And you would probably be right in many, many places, in many, many cases but never forget, he hasn't abdicated the throne. He hasn't quit. He hasn't said, I give up. It's too, it's too much work. It, it's, pe people are just too evil. He hasn't given up. In fact, and this one's going to be hard to swallow, he's even saying that they have been appointed by the Lord them, himself. And that we are supposed to submit to them. <laughs> Guys, that's tough. Have you ever noticed that submission is really easy when you don't have to submit? It's a great concept. It's a great concept. We understand it. We understand in the military there's a rank and file and you have sergeants and colonels and, you know, uh, five-star colonels. There's a rank and file. 
And, and when someone above your rank walks into the room, you stand at attention usually and you salute. We understand that. That seems good. That seems like an order. But what if you're that private? <laughs> what if you're that private and you're in boot camp and you've got a sergeant screaming and yelling at you? Is that, is that easy? Would we even attempt to say that that's an easy thing to do? No. It's not an easy thing to do. It is very difficult right now for us to submit to our government. Just fact. But there are other nations, there are other countries, there are other people that have gone through this, are going through this, and they're worse off than we are. So we're not alone in this. And most important, I want to be able to try to put Jesus back on the top of these things. You say, well, how could Jesus be in charge of these things and tell us to submit to him? Guys, read your Old Testament. Read your New Testament. There were governments all the way through from the Old Testament to the New Testament that were not godly leaders. So, that word submit, you guys have probably heard me use this many times because I remember early on in my ministry looking and studying trying to I wanted to know what this word meant right that's an important word and so it comes from a Greek word called hupotasso and what it means is to place yourself willingly willingly under someone to place yourself willingly under someone Absalom never figured this out. Absalom never figured out how he needed to submit to his father and his father's reign. So he wanted to overthrow the king and he wanted to be king. His motives were selfish all the way through. But in James 4 verse 7 it says, Therefore submit to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Same word. Submit to God. Put yourself in an orderly fashion under God's authority. Let him run things. Now, if you're like most of us, you let him run things most of the time. But there are times when you question his leadership. God, how could you let this happen? God, why is this going on? God, why is that going on? on. Anybody that's under the leadership of someone else, there are going to be times when we question their leadership. Human nature. But he tells us to submit to God. That's the key, guys. Here's the key to all of it. Submit to God. Can't God remove people? Can't he lift people up? Can't he bring them down? Nations, countries, leaders, the pompous, the wise, the smarter ones that are smarter than everybody else in the world and tries to make everyone else submit to their intelligence or lack thereof. Sometimes we're not sure which it is. 
And then in Ephesians 22, wives, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord. Same, same word. But don't think that that just means wives. Guys have to submit. It says right prior to that, the verse prior to that, about submitting to, to each other in fear of God, in love of God, to submit to each other. To have a mutual exchange, a love and a respect. Submission is a piece of cake until something comes up we don't want to submit to. And when it comes up to something we don't want to submit to, it becomes one of the most difficult things in our life. Is to be able to put that in God's hands and back away from it. Because we want to take care of it ourselves. It's used over 40 times, this word, hupotasso, used over 40 times in the New Testament. Paul's asking the Romans, under the leadership of Nero, to willingly place themselves under the authority of the corrupt, murderous Roman government. Man, I don't know about you guys, but that's hard to wrap my brain around. Now, we know there comes a time in, in our life when maybe we're being asked to sin. We're being asked to do something that's not of God in any way. And those are the times which are rare that we may need to, we may need to stand up. You know, you go back to uh, many, many times in the Bible where people were told they had to do something or not worship God and they did it anyway because they knew it was a command from the Lord and they did what the Lord wanted them to do. But I would say this, don't just take that as a license. I would say that has to be bathed in prayer. That has to be something that you know that you know that you know that you know. This is what God has told me to do. Nor should we assume everybody should have to do what we do. The person sitting next to you might say, well, I don't have that same conviction. You may have a lot of somebodies who say, I don't have that conviction. But God may call someone out to stand. Someone that's got a voice. Someone that's got the power to be able to make a change. Somebody that's got the, 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 uh, the burning desire to, to do what God's asked them to do. And it may be different than what you and I have been called to do. God raised those people up because we need those. We need those folks. Willingly. <laughs> Willingly. That's the hard part. You guys remember the story about the little boy who's standing up in the back of the car, right? And uh, the mom says, you know, Billy, you need to sit down. He goes, no, I don't want to. He says, Billy, sit down. No, I don't want to. I want to stand up. Billy, if you don't sit down, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make you sit down. So Billy finally sits down. And then he looks at his mom, and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> now, Theologians often talk about two types of repentance, right? 
One is attrition, and the other one is contrition. Attrition and contrition. Attrition is a false repentance that usually is only a change in the outward actions with no change of the heart. We know what that is, don't we? Haven't we been in church or God's convicted of something and we said, God, I'll never do that again, and we've done it, we've done it again. That would kind of be attrition. You know, I'm sorry I got busted. I'm sorry that I did it. I know I'm not supposed to do it, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. But contrition is a change in the outward actions, but it's driven from a change of the heart. Something inside says, what I'm doing is wrong. The attitude that I have is wrong. I'm not putting this in God's hands. I want to go murder somebody. I want to go wring their neck. I want to go slap them in the face. I want to go tell them what I think. I want to punish them in some way. But to con true contrition is the heart changes. And that's the most beautiful part of Christianity is when our heart gets changed. In fact, you can't be born again without the heart change. You can't fake true Christianity. You can fake religion, but you can't fake true Christianity. It's a change of the heart that drives absolutely everything. And we end up changing a lot of things on the outside. So, willingly. <laughs> do I do what I do willingly with a good heart? with the right heart or have I picked up so much of my notes see I'm doing this all from memory right see that note I don't know where those came from to be honest with you but am I doing this with the right heart sometimes we picked up so much of the world that we mix we mix that with our Christianity and think that it's still okay but, it, but it's not it's not and I think as long as we're alive God's going to be changing us God's going to be working on our hearts to let our heart line up with our faith to where we do what we do because we love the Lord and we don't want to hurt him in any way nor do we want to hurt anyone else in any way. Why is it so much easier to be nasty than it is to be nice? Think about it. Somebody pulls in front of you on the freeway and almost hits you. Is the first thing out of your mouth godliness? Thank God you saved me. I wasn't in an accident. Thank you, God, that I didn't qualify for that house. Thank you, God, that I didn't get that car. Lord, thank you that I didn't marry the person I dated in high school. God, thank you. Usually that's not it. Usually our first thing is the flesh. Stuff we've picked up through the years. So God, may you help us willingly to get to that place. Folks, I don't think any of us are there yet. It's a lifetime process. But Lord, help me change. Help me be the kind of an individual that my dog thinks I am. Right? 
Help me be the kind of individual that I really want to be. That I know your word calls for me to be. Please understand that Paul is not saying that all authority is good. He's not saying it's righteous. He's not saying even that it's fair. What he is saying is that as Christians, we're supposed to be in submission to that authority that's been placed over us. Tough. Verse 2, therefore, because of what he said already, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. What? <laughs> I can't be a little bit rebellious? I can't, I can't take a little bit of it myself and take out a little bit? No. Why? Why does he say that? Now, please keep in mind, I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody because I think we all deal with this. This is for all of us. The ordinance, that word ordinance, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, that word ordinance means arrangement or institution. So whoever rebels against or resists this arrangement that God has put in charge, no man has put this in charge. God has put this in charge. He's put this into place. And he's saying that to resist God's authority or to resist the authority of those placed over us is to resist God's arrangement. Wow. Wow. I think we all know how profitable it is to resist God's arrangements. You might as well run into a brick wall because it doesn't work right? If we resist God, we usually end up having to go around the mountain a few more times because God is sovereign and he's going to work those things out in our life. Now, look at verses 3 and 4. This even gets more complicated. It says, for rulers are not a terror to good works. Well, that's not true anymore, is it? Or is it? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger. That means one who carries out justice, a punisher, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Okay, did you see he didn't let the evil go? He just said it's not our business to control it. Evil's going to pay. Satan's lost. The battle is already won in the Lord. But the greatest thing that we could do for our country is to pray, 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 pray. To pray for the leadership. To pray that God will do what he does best. There are times when it's hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys. And there's times when the bad guys are really out there. And really, you know, you can see the little forked tail. You, you, know, you know they're evil. You know where they're from. 
But do you know scripture tells us there's going to be a great falling away of the church before he returns? Do you know that he also says that even the very elect, if he didn't shorten the days, even the very elect would be deceived? That's why I'm always telling you folks, keep one eye open. Keep one eye open. Things are not always the way they look or the way they seem. Let me paint a scenario for you. Let's say everything changes. Let's say even at the next election, everything changes. And whomever God picks, let's say that the biggest majority of people think that they're a good guy or a good gal. And they come in and they begin to solve the oil crisis. Maybe they open up the pipelines. They begin to bring gas down to 250 a gallon again or whatever. Let's make it really nice. They bring it down to a dollar a gallon. Now we know that's not going to happen, but let's just say that he does. And let's say he begins to make, or she begins to make peace treaties with other countries. What then? Are we set? Are we, are we good? Do we have the right person in there? Well, for your pocketbook, for our pocketbooks, yeah, we got, we got the right person in there. For our peace and safety, even if it's for a while, maybe. Maybe that's good. We also know the scripture says the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, when the Antichrist comes, he's going to be a semi-religious character. And lest the days be shortened, even the very elect would be deceived. Well, that's not going to come from the little fork-tail guy. That's going to come from somebody who we think is amazing in what they do. We have to keep one eye open. We have to depend upon God's word and not much of anything else. We have to depend upon the Lord. Now, I want to remind us one more time. Nero is in power. He's not saying this to people where everything is great. But Nero is in power. Look at verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Well, what does that mean? Subjection, submission, there it is again. Not because we might just get busted or have to pay a fine. Now, if you're a parent, you know what this is. Your kids will sometimes do what you tell them to do just because they don't want to get busted. Not because there's a change of heart. Not because they've just automatically one day said, you know what, Bible says I should honor my parents. I think I will. But sometimes they'll do what they got to do to conform, but without the change of heart. And he's saying that if we're going to do this, we need to do it not just because of we're afraid to get busted, but it needs to be something that's a conviction for conscience' sake, because we really believe that it's the right thing to do. In other words, that way we have a clear conscience instead of a guilty conscience. Look at verse 6, and because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Wow, <laughs> taxes, 
We all love that word, don't we? And we're going to have a whole lot more tax people pretty soon if you haven't been reading the news. And their application says they must be willing to use deadly force. Why do you need that many tax people that are armed and need to use deadly force? We all hate taxes. I don't know about you guys, but I'm about ready for another tea party. I think they're too high. I don't like them. I'll be honest with you. But I pay them. But I pay them. Because it's the right thing to do. Would I rather not? You bet I would rather not. And the way it's supposed to work, they're supposed to be. Leadership is supposed to be working for the people. Treating the people fairly. And they get paid by those taxes. You get roads by those taxes. You get the benefits by those taxes. Now, my opinion is not worth anything, but I should... I believe there should be term limits. And I think there should be a limit on how much income you can make. That it has to be capped at some place, somewhere, so that it's not just a motivation of I'm in there because I can make millions and become millionaire while I'm in there. But we don't particularly have that right now, do we? Those that are setting their own limits and being careful and being cautious and being kind and looking out for all of us. At least most of us or a lot of us feel that way. But I think even today a tax collector being appointed by the Lord is hard to swallow. <laughs> Verses 7 and 8. Excuse me. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So bottom line, you can summarize that in saying we're supposed to pay our debts. We're supposed to pay our bills and we're supposed to pay those debts. Now, we have this thing in our government that allows people to file bankruptcy. They get in over their head, they've made a bad, a bad mistake, and, and you know, there's certain papers they can file, and, and uh, they can start over again. But sometimes there's people who file bankruptcy, two, three, four, it becomes kind of a standard habit. I'll charge everything I can, then I'll go bankrupt, right? And then I'll charge everything I can, and I'll go bankrupt again. That's not living as a king's kid. A king's kid is moderation. Buy what you can afford. Sometimes don't buy and, and, and don't get that thing or do without. Or, but to live within your own means. What he's saying here is right is right and wrong is wrong. For the Christians, there are things that are right and there are things that are righteous. And you're going to find them in here. You're not going to find them on TikTok. You're not going to find them on the internet. You're not going to find them in any of the other places. We're going to find it in the Word of God. Now, I, I kind of, I like some social media. I like being able to keep in touch with certain things. But, you know, when you're, when you're trying to watch something and they're, and they're swearing, the songs, 
My goodness, the songs that they're singing, they're swearing at you, they're cussing at you, they're using foul language, they're using foul words, and you're going, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. This, this is not... I tried TikTok, and I had to get off of it. It was just too much. But if you're not careful now, that's all moving over to Facebook. It's moving over to all the other sites. So... You know, <laughs> it's a nasty pond, and we've got to be careful about swimming in that. Okay, he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Do I love my government? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you were going to hate me when this is over. I'll be honest with you, no, I don't. I don't. But I don't hate the people. I don't, I don't hate the people. You cannot like something that somebody does without hating them. I know that's a new concept for some folks, but you can love someone and not like what they do. If you've ever raised teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You might not like what they do, but you'd love them. You'd do almost anything for them. We should be praying for those leaders and our own hearts. Romans 13, 9, it says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet and if there's any other commandment, it's all summed up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this first part up until it talks about love, that kind of sometimes describes people's leadership and maybe even government. You shall not commit adultery. Well, we know that that's not happening. I mean, it is happening, and it's not being done correctly. Thou shalt not murder. Well, people suspect that that's going on. You shall not steal. Well, look at the gas pump. You shall not bear false witness. You, right now, you can't tell. It's hard to get the truth. If you depend on social media to get the truth, you're not going to get it. You're just not going to get it because there's a spin factor going on, and things get changed. And to be honest with you... I'm not so sure that both sides don't do that a little bit. So it's hard to get the truth. You shall not covet. You shall not want what somebody else has, but be content. But he's saying above all things, for you and I as Christians, that is to love people. I think that's a good prayer for all of us. Lord, teach me to love the people that are in the government. I don't have to love what they're doing, but teach me to, to love them. Teach me how to pray for them and really mean it. That I want to see them come to know Jesus and be set free and have salvation because they're being motivated. They're being held captive by Satan. They're being held captive by evil. But God can break that. He broke it in our lives, didn't he? He can break that. All right, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. 
You love somebody, you don't want to hurt them. You're going to, even the people that you love from time to time. But it doesn't intentionally harm someone. So, Jesus is love. But there's so much hate in the world, isn't there? Let's not be a part of, of that. You know, it's pretty hard to get into a civil suit if you're looking out for your neighbor instead of looking for an opportunity to get even with him. I'm not saying all neighbors are nice. Some, some aren't. Verse 11, and do this, knowing the time that now is the high time to wake up, awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Wow. Jesus is coming back. We know that. You've been told that all your life, all your Christian life. You've been told Jesus is returning. And we've prayed, Maranatha, God, come quickly. We want to be with you. And now times are looking like that might occur sooner than we thought. How much time do we have? We don't know. But if you look around the world, you look at Israel, you look at Iran, you look at Russia, you look at Ukraine, you look at Saudi Arabia, you, you look at this powder keg going on in the world. And there's so much hate. So much hate. We know that the Lord is coming soon. And it's, there's not, there's no time to get sidetracked in court or in prison for not paying our bills. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be telling people about Jesus. When Jesus came back to the guys and they had fallen asleep, he says, you know, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We know that, right? Our spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Guys, why do we let the flesh win? Have we gotten to the point to where we're spiritually so weak that the flesh tells us what to do instead of Jesus? It's not going to feel good all the time to be faithful to be true to be honest to be in fellowship to be loving to be kind it, it's not going to it's not going to be easy it's not going to necessarily feel like that's what we want to do you know what we want to do we want to curl up at home sit on the couch get your favorite macchiato whatever those things are I don't know what they're called because I've never bought one but we want to curl up there on the couch and watch the big screen, the bigger the better, and just tune out the world and sit there in your pajamas. That's what we want to do, right? At least a lot of people do. But where does that get us? Where, you know, where does that put us except maybe a little rest, which is not a bad thing. But I think we've We've kind of gotten to a place now to where we just have written so much off and we've become woke without even knowing it. Satan is so clever. He is so clever. All he's got to do is put out a little disease. And even Christians froze 
We froze, and I have to admit, I did too at first. I'm going, what is this? I don't know what's going on. Mask, gloves up to here, waiters on, you know. It's like, what is going on? Wiping down your, your car door handle. And now we find out that so much of it was just not true. And we found out that natural immunity, just out of curiosity, how many of you have had COVID? Look, guys, and they're still here. Yes, those with serious illnesses, COPD and that kind of thing, some of them have gone home to be with the Lord. But a lot of it had to do with the protocols that the hospitals were governed to use, whereas if they could have got proper treatment, they would probably or could be still alive. But I mean, look at what it did to us. Look at what it did to, to not just us, but every church in America almost. Except for some of them who stood up and said, we're not, not going to do it. We're still having church. And threatened with lawsuits. Some of them spent time in jail. But now they're releasing all of that and letting people get somewhat back to normal except for the monkeypox or whatever other pox or what else might, you know, come along. And I'm not saying to be irresponsible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that don't believe everything you hear and your trust has to be in Jesus. Above all things, it has to be in Jesus. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close here. <laughs> Look at verses 12. 13 and 14. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust from Thayer's. It says revelry is this, a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music to honor, excuse me, in honor of Bacchus or some other deity and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence used generally of feasts and drinking parties that are protracted until late at night and indulge in every kind of revelry. That's still going on. That's still going on. They don't call it the spirits industry for nothing. Right? Why is it so cool to go out and get plastered and act like an idiot? Why, why is that? It's like we go through a certain time in our life where we, we kind of lose our brains a little bit. We lose the ability to reason. And it's like, because my friends do it, well, I'm accepted. It's part of that group. I'm accepted by doing that. Drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be, it, it's acceptable, and I'm accepted amongst that group. In fact, I'm actually kind of cool in that group because I can drink everybody under the table. Or I'm funnier when I drink. But guys, if we claim to be a, a Christian, there's, there's that line. There's a line that we draw. And say, I want to live like a king's kid. 
I don't want to live like that. <laughs> I want to live like a king's kid. By the way, the bulk of our sin in our society is also done at dark. It's done in the dark. And alcohol still plays a long part and a strong part in all of that. Why are all the bars dark? Because everybody that goes there is ugly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, remember your days before you got saved? You thought, see somebody from the distance, you go, man, they, they look awesome. So you head on over there to say hi or dance or whatever, and you get closer, you get, you're going, whoa, no, I'm good. Dark in there, sin, you know. There's a better life. That's all I'm saying. Jesus is saying there's a better life for us. And that lewdness and lust, that's a sexual nature that he's talking about there, those kinds of sins. But it all still fits in our society. But guys, as Christians, let's be the light. Amen. You're not going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. But when somebody says, hey, let's go out and do this, you go, no, I... I don't do that anymore. Why? Well, I found Jesus. Now they're going to laugh at you. They're going to make fun of you, but who cares? I just don't do that anymore. But deep down, while they're laughing at you, they're going, I wish I could do that. I wish I could put this away. I wish I wasn't doing this. Maybe they're onto something. But guys, all of this has to be done in the Holy Spirit. It can't be done in the flesh. What are you saying, Pastor? Well, I'm saying that if this morning God's worked on your heart and you say, I'm just going to do this, it's not going to happen. But if you humbly go before the Lord and have a contrite heart, you really want God to change that heart, He will. He'll give you the ability to be able to be the man or the woman that you desire to be and that God wants you to be. And it won't happen overnight. It'll, it'll happen over a period of time. But there's a lot of folks in here right now that if you got to talking to them and talked about who they used to be, they would rather just not even talk about it because God has changed them so radically. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we ask that you would guide and direct us. Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here that has not given their heart to you, that they would strongly consider what Paul is saying to the Roman church and what you're saying to us. Lord, we admit to you, we confess that we have not always had that godly attitude. We confess to you that it's difficult for us to find good in some of the things that are going on today. We confess to you that this seems like some impossible task, and it is without you. But Father, I repent of the times that I've uh, been unkind towards people, or even to our government. And that Father, somehow you would uh, change our hearts. Help us to keep the focus on Jesus. Lord, we don't have to like what's going on, but we need to love you. The heads bowed. Is there anybody here this morning you would say, 
I, I've never given my life to God. I don't even know if I'm saved. You can go home knowing 100% that you are saved because the Bible tells us we'll confess, give him our heart. He'll come into that heart. So if you're here this morning and you, you don't know, you don't know if you're saved or not, regardless of religion, regardless of uh, home church somewhere or whatever your upbringing was, you don't know that today if God could come and if he came to take you home, you don't know that you would be in heaven with him. This is an opportunity for you to know that. Anybody here this morning would say, Pastor John, I don't, I don't know if I'm saved. And I'd like to make sure of that this morning, so I'm going to raise my hand. If you raise your hand, I'd be honored to pray with you. This does not mean you're a horrible individual or, you know, a person that's, that's uh, beyond redemption. In fact, it just means you're human. But it's an opportunity to make sure Jesus is our God and that he can fight those battles for us. Anyone at all, just slip the hand up and I'll, and I'll pray with you. Anybody here this morning that would say, hey, I'm just backslidden. I'm like the prodigal son. I know what's right, but I'm not doing it. I know what's right, but I'm just, uh, just kind of living my own life right now. But I want to come home. I want to come back to the Lord. Anybody here this morning that would say, that's me. I just need to come home. I want to come back to Jesus. Father, amen, brother. God, I pray for my brother. And I thank you for his boldness. And Lord, I thank you that you continue to work in his life. I pray that you continue to bless him. I pray that he's able to continually submit his life to you. And that, Father, you would do amazing things in his life. Above and beyond everything or anything he could ever ask or hope or think. And most of all, let him know how much you love him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.